are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Scott. This is Ollie, and this is Science in Between. Right Look here. at us. That's what this is. In Episode between. like 136 or something, right? Yeah, something crazy like that. Something crazy. Bananas. Bananas. We're <laughs> approaching the end of our third year of doing this. I know. And it, there's somebody out there, I'm certain, who's listened to that every single episode. We should send I don't know who that person is, but... <laughs> if, we, if we could get some sort of proof, we, we would, what would we send them? I don't know. An autograph? A... <laughs> Some podcast <laughs> recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> Here's something you can listen to that's less of a waste of your time. Yeah. You spent really a significant chunk listening. Oh, I know. It's like what what what's in the metrics? It's like like a hundred hours or a hundred and five oh, oh, yeah. hours. Well, we no, it's yeah, it's because the episodes are on average forty five minutes. So right, I, but it's yeah. it's in it's on Fireside. It says how many uh. How many hours total? Something yeah. like 105 or 106 or something like that, yeah. which is yeah. wild. 103 hours, 36 minutes. There you and, go. And that doesn't include this episode. So No. No. It does not. Wow. That means that of, you and I have spent at least 103 hours together. At least. Because we yeah. got the whole pre and- The pre, yeah, the, pre the wrapping, the pre-show. The pre, the pre, the re- <laughs> so that's like more than four days of your life. In the last All right, three I'm years. out. I'm yeah, out. That's it. See ya. <laughs> Catch you later. All right. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. what I'm talking about then, just by <laughs> myself today, is uh, we we are going to talk a little bit today about the difference between um, facilitating two kinds of conversations that we have to bounce back and forth between often as science teacher educators. So, you know, one of the things we've talked about a lot on this show is the sort of meta nature of doing the work that we do because we teach people to teach people. Yeah. Um, and so that means that we're, we in our heads have to think about, well, how do you facilitate science conversations? And we do that a lot. We talk about like, how do you organize and design a classroom environment where kids are engaged in the processes and practices of science? So that we think about a lot, but then we also have to think about the layer up from that, which is, how do we organize conversations between science teachers about science teaching where the science teaching is the kind of teaching that kids are going to have conversations about science? So um, and we have to do that not only in our in our pre-service courses where we're teaching, um, you know, people who are about to be teachers or who are developing into new teachers, but we also have to facilitate those conversations with people who've been teaching for many, many years um, and therefore have a whole foundation about how they think about teaching and how they think about what should be going on in classrooms and, and maybe importantly, how they identify themselves as either good or not good science teachers. Um, right. And, and how they, I mean, I think it, I, I, I know it, we always hate coming back to this, but this is, I think it like really builds on epistemology and yeah. it builds on learning theory yeah. and like how people see the world. Right. And yeah. if they, you know, come at it from a standpoint of, okay, I think the, the best, like almost like a transition model of, you know, then the professional developer, whoever's leading or the teacher educator is going to 
you know, lead the the discussion, quote unquote discussion, in a very you know presentation didactic way, right? Right. And yeah, and that's and that's you know one of the things that one of the reasons this topic came up and that we want to talk about it is that we're doing some professional learning, and in that context, to make it even more complicated, another layer up is. We are now doing professional learning for people who are going to do professional learning for people who are teaching science. So we've added a layer on top of this whole meta cake. Yeah, it's uh, the trainer, train the trainer model, which is really, you know, I was a big believer of that. And I I guess I still am, but Mm. it's, it's, it has some challenges. It does have some challenges. Yeah. I mean, well, first for me is I, I really don't like training as a way to think about right. teacher learning. And I think lots of people, that's not new news here though. In Europe, I think in general, that's the way they describe it. They they would talk about not teacher education, but teacher training. Now, maybe that's changed um, recently, but, um, but, you know, I always like my catchphrase for that is like you train dogs, mm-hmm. um, you educate people. Um, but I think, you know, one of the challenges we're facing is, is we're trying to figure out how do you have conversations with people who, in this case, may not have science content backgrounds, may not have had science teaching experience because the folks that we're working with have many hats. They have to be math teachers and 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 some of them are former English teachers or special education teachers or whatever. Um, and we're asking them to do something that's very hard for people who have a strong content science background. Um, and then, you know, to your point, this train the trainer model sometimes and and has been framed in the work that we're doing in, uh, on occasion it it gets framed as well we just want something that we can use like give right. us give me the slides give me some give me slides. The slides and some facilitator notes and let me go facilitate this and you know again that that approach is antithetical to the way that we think about teaching so it's really a struggle because we both want to help folks because they need these things like we can't we don't have the time to we don't have, I should be careful how I say this, but we don't have enough of their time and enough of our time, if we're being honest, to actually help them develop these practices in a deep way, like we do with our pre-service teachers. Right. Um, and But they also are under incredible time pressure because they have to start delivering professional learning so that teachers can start learning about these new standards and start to change their practice. So we're really in a double bind here. And um, so we just wanted to talk about that a little bit and about those different layers of talk that we have to deal with. And I think for me, one of the things that I bristle at is people who talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. And, you know, I think one of my first, um, interactions with a you know a science teacher educator was mm. way back at at the university of pittsburgh right where mm. i had somebody who was pretty renowned in science education we want to we won't say who that person is yeah um however this like he this person was a classic uh talk the talk not walk the walk yeah. and whenever i was in a classroom with this person <clears throat> he would no, just say all the things to do, and we never did them. Yeah. As we never experienced, he never modeled those things. He just said, "This is what expert science teachers do." Right. But then I never got to see what that looked like or yeah. experience it from. And I think there's a in order if we're going to have discourse based classrooms in which we 
discuss things and come to some sort of consensus, if that's the model of science education that we're proposing, then we've got to, got to model it. We got to like show. And that means, you know, with our, you know, our pre-service teachers, our in-service teachers are, you know, I don't know if we would call these our trainers or what do we want to call them? I know I don't, that's a, yeah. but the, the, the folks who are going to be leading these professional development, we've got to show them examples of that. We have to show yeah. them what that looks like. And we've got to um, have them experience it. Now the challenge with is, is switching from the, you know, experiential learning to the unpacking of the learning, right. Yeah. To say, okay, you were, we just had this experience. Now let's talk about the, but it still is, you could talk about the thing after you do the thing. Yeah. And it's like some of that is pre- maybe presentation based or maybe question based. Like I'll, g- I'll give you a, for instance, and I know you you've seen these slides, but I'll, t- I'll talk about it. Like, uh, about like maybe a month and a half ago, I, I led a professional development, like sort of an introduction to the new PA uh, science standards at a local high school. And um, I was really struggling with how I was going to do this because I knew, I know you and I both know science teachers, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, coming in, you come in, you know, we're, we're in the Ivy Towers. And, you know, mm-hmm. even though I had some of these folks as, as, as students, both here at Millersville and when I was teaching K to 12, you know, I knew these, I knew some of these folks really well. Um, it was still, you know, it could be a, um, adversarial place at times, right? Because, sure. you know, and so I wanted to go in, not as necessarily the expert, but as somebody who was just going to facilitate a conversation. And that was intentional on my part. I went mm-hmm. in with like, okay, I'm just going to share information and use that as starting points for questions. And so most of the beginning slides, maybe the first 10 slides were just questions or pieces of data for them to discuss. Mm-hmm. And it, I was going to, and I know we just, you know, bristle with the term facilitate, mm-hmm. but I was going to lead a conversation and really ask questions and, and model the things, all the back pocket questions, all the discourse based things that we have talked about, you know, multiple times here. Now the thing I never did was get to the point where at the end I was like, okay, you know, we just did this. <laughs> yeah. Right. I never did that, you know? Yeah. Well, that's hard too. And, sure. you know, I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting is like the efficiency pressure, right? So, so kids in science classrooms are not wanting more efficient learning environments. They're not saying like, give this to me faster, give it to right. me. Like I, I want really more contact. Need, yeah. More I, content I, faster. I need more content. Right. It, and, but that's not at all. Well, and science teachers are different. So let's set them aside for a second. Sure. But the group that we're working with, like that is a pressure for them. They're feeling like, give me more now. Like, give me like, like we need it yesterday, but I'll settle for it today. If you give me twice as much. And it's like, well, you know, fundamentally, the way that we think about teaching is these are relationship building process oriented things and they don't you can't just jam more in and expect the quality to go up. Um, what happens is you jam more in and the quality goes down um, yeah. because now you don't understand. You've got lots of things, but you don't understand any of them because you just got them jammed down your throat for whatever period of time. So. So that sense of patience disappears. And I think that's that's one of the big challenges for me is 
um, you know, like we're planning these sessions for April and we're planning them as a co-design. Um, and I know that we're going to get pushback. Um, and, and in the end, I think it'll be good, but I, we're going to get pushback about, well, can't you just give us the materials and let us go do this stuff? And the answer is, yeah, we can. And then it won't be as good. Um, right. And you won't learn really what these materials are about and what they mean so that you can authentically um, use them to help facilitate learning. So what will happen is you'll just run through these slides and everyone will sit and say, well, that seems like the same old thing with a new label and, and right. they'll nod along and that'll be the end of it. So, you know, it is interesting that there's um, like a different set of pressures in each of these environments in terms of how people are reacting to, to the change in pedagogy. Yeah. And I think that each one has their own affordances. Each one of these environments has their own affordances and their own challenges. Yeah. Right. Because I think that when you are, you know, in a collegiate environment, you're working as a teacher educator with pre-service teachers, um, you, there's a, there's a power differential there, right? That, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an affordance, right? That's a, a, a clearly a benefit for you, you as, cause they're going to, they're going to see you as the expert. They're going to trust you. You know, you can help to foster the classroom. You have long periods of time to work with those individuals. There's so many things that makes that environment more, um, a, a better place for long-term learning that you could be impactful and mm-hmm. change some, you know, ways of teaching, ways of being, ways of, you know, all of that. Um, right. Whereas, you know, even though we've kind of engaged with some of these professional development leaders, um, multiple times over m- multiple months, uh, it's still not the same. There's there's different things there. Like mm-hmm. there's no like it's voluntary. They're coming when they want. Sure. They're showing up sometimes. They're showing up to our sessions and maybe some other sessions, you know. And there's no um outside of the resources and the learning. Uh, there's no benefits, right? There's no. We're not giving them a grade. We're not giving right. them like, you know, a stipend. We're not giving them anything besides knowledge. Right. Well, and and as you said, like they're they're grown ass adults with lots of responsibilities. So they're constantly having to make choices about the value of their time. And so when you're doing that, you do look for efficiency. Like you, right. you're like, look, I don't have time to have a chit chat. Like I need you to give me the thing so I can go on and do the next thing. Um so yeah, that I think that really is a struggle. Um, so I think one of the one of the key th- things about these conversations that we're talking about that um, that I think is is important or different, but also the same is that in all of these instances, what you're trying to do is create space for people to express their own ideas so that they can unpack those ideas and better understand them because that's how you're, how learning really happens. Learning happens not by me telling you the right answer so that you can replace your quote unquote misconception with my correct answer. Right. Right. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole history of that not working. There's different explanations for why, depending on what learning theory you're grounded in. But the fundamental fact is that that's the truth, right? That just telling people the right answer does not change their understanding. Um, so so that doesn't work, at least doesn't work very well. Um, in most cases, it doesn't work full stop. 
So this question of like, well, well, what are these conversations about then? How do we, how do we have conversations with teachers or with people who are going to teach teachers um, when, when it comes to these kinds of conversations? And I think, you know, it's, you know, I was having a talk with somebody yesterday in, in my class who's studying um, nature centers and how people learn how to be, you know, like docents at a nature center where they care for, in this case, raptors or other, other animals. Um, so, and I bring this up because there, you know, that there are lots of analogies in this universe in the sense that, um, you know, there, there are often cases where you are trying to help somebody else learn how to treat a third party that is not currently present, right? So parenting is like that a lot in terms of helping kids understand, well, okay, we're having a conversation now about how you can have a conversation with somebody right. else about something that's important. And um, and part of that is modeling, um, but you model different things in different contexts and, and thinking about what that looks like is tricky because the conversation that you have with your kid about the hard conversation that they're going to have, unless you role play it, which you can do a rehearsal. We talk about that in teacher ed too, um, is really a different conversation than the one you're having with your kid. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things and I just thought about this because, you know, this is a going back a ways in, in our episodes, but we talked a long time ago about, cognitive apprenticeships mm-hmm. right yeah and the brown collins and do good absolutely we talked about that that, that paper oh gosh situated cognition a long time ago yeah. and i think that is something that deserves some discussion here because i think we're we're talking about you know at least some part you know the different phases of that different you know functions and processes of cognitive apprenticeship yeah. and because like we're talking about modeling here you know but we're also talking about like the the articulation of like what what to but you know what we have to try to do is get some of those other aspects too where you know we're, we're coaching people and scaffolding them and you know so it's it's a it's we have to unpack that more in that professional development i mean what we've been trying to do is model it and I think mm-hmm. that in some parts we have to move to some of the other facets too. You know, it's funny. I was I was thinking about this. The um, I was listening to the radio yesterday. And it was uh, and it was an interview with Brett Goldstein, who's the mm-hmm. uh, the the writer for uh, Ted Lasso, one of the writers for Ted Lasso, and one of the writers and creators for Shrinking, and which we've talked about that recently yeah. too. And, and and plays Roy Kent. Just and for plays Roy Kent. Don't, yeah. Yeah, and if you're if you're watching, he's uh, Ted Lasso. He's Roy Kent, yeah. which he doesn't sound anything like Roy Kent. He, no. That's his. And so, um, they were talking about one of the episodes, one of the first episodes in Shrinking, um, where you know Jimmy, who's the uh, the the uh, one psy- psychiatrist, he's like, I just want to tell them what to do with their lives. Like we yeah. know what to do. Just tell, I just right. want to tell them. You yeah. know, here's what you have to do with your life, and. And the and Paul, the more senior mentor psychiatrist, goes, but you you can't just take away their agency, or their autonomy. There, they need to discover that on their own, right? Yeah. And and that's the, I mean, that I think captures what we're trying to do as science teachers, right? We're trying to help them have some agency, some autonomy in their understanding, in their learning. We're just trying to help be, you know, guides, facilitators to get that, but that we have to do the same thing when we're 
you know, working with the folks who are going to be leading those classrooms. And yeah. that's hard work. Just like Jimmy in shrinking, which, you know, I just finished the season. It's awesome. But just that, like, he struggles with that. He struggles with that. He's just like, no, you have to do this. And then yeah. it sometimes leads to, you know, some not good outcomes. Yeah. <laughs> no. no. So, yeah. And I mean, I think it is a really, you know, it's a good analogy and, or, or parallel, right. Sure. And, that, and going back to that, um, you know, notion of, of, Brown Collins and Do Good and Cognitive Apprenticeship. And one of the things that I always pull out of that is the idea of authenticity is that if you want the place where people are learning the thing, whatever the thing uh-huh. is, to be as close to the real thing as possible, because that's what allows that knowledge to be useful as you move into real context. So, you know, part of the point, I think, going back to the shrinking analogy is like, if you're if your therapist is telling you what to do, then when you get in bad situations on your own, you, you don't, you don't have do. the decision-making right. skills. You don't have the tools that you need to be able to deal with the issue. And so you've been told, oh, this is what I should do. And on some level, you may even know that that's what you need to do. But knowing how and and why and when to do it is the important thing. It's not the what. The what's the easy thing because the what is always based in a particular context, but the pattern, the practice that allows you to figure out what the what is, is the important thing, right? And this is exactly analogous to science teaching, which is the what is the content knowledge. Well, the what doesn't matter so much. What matters is how do you get to the what so that you can answer the question that you're trying to answer. Um, and then to scale that up, to think about like, well, what's the, what's the authentic context if if you or what's closer to an authentic context? If you're helping somebody learn how to teach somebody else how to teach somebody, what does the authentic context look like? And And the authentic context looks like those people should have a lot of autonomy and do a lot of hard thinking about... What are the things we need to do to help people understand this? And if I just tell you, look, if you do this, they will understand it. Then I've give, both I've given you a bunch of information that will not be correct in every context, which right. means that I've set you up for failure. And I haven't given you the tools you need to adapt so that when, when the context is different, you know what to do. Like you, you, because you don't really understand what you're doing. You're just rote you know, reproducing it. It's, it's kind of like, here's another analogy. Cause you know, I love yeah. analogies. Yeah. It's like, you know, those, uh, those painting parties that were really popular a handful of years ago before uh-huh. the pandemic. Yeah. Right. You'd go like, you'd go to a bar or you'd go to someplace and they'd have like all these easels set up and you would paint this one thing. Yeah. Right. And you'd walk home with this painting of, I don't know, a sunset or a tree with a bird bird grapes or, what, or whatever. Whatever. Yeah. whatever. You know, it is making art, but that's just making that piece of art. It doesn't yeah. make like doesn't necessarily scale up. You could probably go home and paint that thing again because you were trained to paint that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, our yeah. artist friends out there, you know, friend yeah. of the show, Leslie the Gates. Show, Leslie Gates. <laughs> Would you know probably have more to say about that, but the 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 it I think it's very analogous in that you know we're giving them if we tell them what to do and say this is how you teach and without modeling it without scaffolding without coaching them without them having the opportunity to practice and giving them feedback, then what we're doing is we're just teaching them one thing, right? And then when the shit the the context changes or the subject changes or whatever, 
it's they're they're gonna be like, well, I don't know how to paint that. I only know how to paint trees. You yeah. know, and this, you know, I mean, we know this to be a fundamental truth about human nature, um, and we know this for lots of reasons. But one is like, there's the classic uh, line from the Bible about you give a man a fish, you feed right. him for a day, and you. I was get, trying to avoid saying a fish. That. I was like, yeah. well, but I know, but I know if it applies. I, uh, yeah, I, and it applies in the sense that you know, you don't, you can't, especially for me in these layered educational contexts, like. If we see education as relational, me teaching you how to better relate to your students and engage with them in a science learning environment, or if those people are teachers and you're trying to help them learn how to teach, I can't do that by giving you a list of rules. Right. I can't teach you this. I can't teach you science by giving you the scientific method. We've tried that. It doesn't work. It's a disaster, right? It it just gives people a false sense of security, and it gives them uh, makes them do if we're being honest, like bad things with that knowledge because they now think they know what they're doing, and they go out in the world and and think that they are well equipped to to do the thing, and they're not. They don't have the tools they need. They just have this one little list of things that they then use to bang on things. Yeah. And they do bang uh, on things. It's like bang, bang, bang. Well, it's like a toddler, right? You right. give a toddler a hammer and they'll hammer on everything. Like they'll yeah. hammer on everything. And so, um, yeah, this it, it is a complicated task to think about how to, to facilitate these. But I think, you know, the key being, well, you have to, you have to create space for agency. You have to create space for authentic activity. You have to create space for practice. Right. In both forms of that word, in the in the basketball sense of practice, but also in the sense of teaching as yeah. a practice, as a set of establishing patterns and norms in classrooms, not about individual talk moves. Right. So you can learn pressing and probing as individual talk moves in a science classroom and, and back That's pocket not, questions and yeah. all that stuff. You can learn those and say, it's OK, it's not going to change what your practice about that, you know. Yeah. yeah right. But but, I th but it, it's. It's about changing mindset too. Like going back to the beginning, it's like changing, like fundamentally how they see this process of teaching. Yeah, right. about and learning teaching theory. science. Right. Yeah, I don't like minds. I don't like mindset. I know, I know. I know. I know. But but I do like the idea of like well, part of the part of the constraint of this is does come back to learning theory, right? Mm -hmm. So the reason our, our folks want to be trained, want to be given turnkey um, professional learning experiences is because they're, they're using the, the information processing notion of, of learning as a way to understand how that is going to play out. Like, okay, if you give me the materials, I'll be fine. I can do it myself. And, and the truth is that's not the way it works. Um, so, so that simplified notion of what learning is and how it happens, uh, undermines all sorts of attempts at changes in practice. Yeah. I think what I really like the cognitive apprenticeship, like the yeah. fact that we've injected that here, because I think it, it does, I think, you know, circle back to an earlier episode, but I think the other part it does is it, it gives folks a sort of a framework to think about this because it's like a way to help people reflect on the stuff, which is going to get at the internal stuff, right? The, the thought process, right? Yeah. And it also helps focus on the 
actual practice thing, the actual activity, the function, the the process, the whatever the thing is, um, and recognizes that if it's you know whatever it is, whether it's uh, you know butchering meat or sewing you know clothing or I don't know operating on a patient, all of that stuff is complex. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff requires skill that is is not ha- doesn't happen from somebody telling you how to do it mm-hmm. it happens from somebody you know modeling it explaining it taught coaching you through it mm-hmm. you know and then giving you the opportunity to practice you on your own mm-hmm. so that you can say okay here's like it's that knowledgeable other it's that you know zone of proximal development it's like the mentor helping the mentee mm-hmm. and that i think is the uh, yeah, it yeah, captures well, so it, much of this. But right. then we, what, what, then what, what? When we do this professional development, we get a hundred people into a room. We go through twenty-five PowerPoint slides, and you know, in mm-hmm. thirty minutes, and call it a day. Yeah, <sighs> because we think that we that adults are somehow different. Maybe that that, but that fundamental treating treating complex practices as a body of knowledge that are an inert list of things that we can just give you. And then you know how the, how the practice works. It doesn't make any sense. Like we know it doesn't work. So yeah, I mean, cognitive apprenticeship, I mean, the the fundamental thing that comes out of that is that how, what you learn is inextricably linked to the context and the way, and that's, the practices that you engage in while you're learning that thing. So if you learn science by doing school, then you don't know how to do science when you leave school because science doesn't work that way when you're not in school. It works in a totally different way. And so you end up in this situation where now it's like, well, I have all this inert knowledge and I can crush it at trivia night, but I can't decide whether I should get get my kids vaccinated or not because I don't, I, I don't know how to, you know, grapple with the evidence around that in a way that is sensible. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing, but it, but it is a, that fundamental piece, um, that you can't get away from the, from the contextualized, the situated nature of learning. That's what's called situated cognition, right? I know. And the culture of learning, right? I mean, that's, it's because it isn't about, a, a body of knowledge. It isn't about just knowing a set of facts. It's about how do you do a thing that you do, right? And and you can't learn that by by watching other people. You know, we analogize about this in so many different ways. It's just it's exhausting uh, sometimes for our audience. I'm sure <laughs> right. where we're like, hey, like you know what else it's like? Hours of- <laughs> you know what else it's like? Um, so, um, yeah, it's like sports or it's, it's like, like, sports, uh, it's like, like this one TV show I watched or like this one right. podcast. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the podcast one is the, the, I've, I have a friend who, if I say the word podcasts, he, um, slaps he, you. No. <laughs> no, well, he mocks me. No doubt. Uh, <laughs> there's a mocking that happens. A, there's a social slapping. <laughs> there is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Okay. Yeah. That's nice. There's some punishment, let's yeah. just say, you know. There's uh, there is a social pain delivered. Yes. Yeah. But I nice. listen, you know, I listen to all these podcasts and I, you know, and it's mainly to learn, right? And so yeah. then it's like, oh, I heard this and it connected to this and this and this. And it's yeah. all like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. 
I don't know. Like I just tail. <laughs> I don't know where that was going. That trailed was just, off there. Yeah, just right, right, the right. side. Yeah, eh. you guys figure it out. But I think that the contextual nature, like the situated nature of this, is what makes it hard, right? That when and the changing environments of it also makes it hard. I mean, that's basically restating the same thing. But I think that when we look at it in a collegiate setting, or look at it in a K to twelve classroom setting, or look at it when we're dealing like leading professional development in a school with science teachers, or with these folks who are going to be doing professional development across the state, all of those contexts are different, and that means that that it's going to impact how we do this, but we have to be like, stay true to the fact that what we're trying, the end result is about this, this discourse based science, relational work. And that's not a telling that's a doing. Right. And, and I think the important thing in the context of this conversation for me is that if you capitulate to that, then you've lost the battle, right? So if you say, okay, I just got this call from a principal and he wants me to come in and do an hour and a half on, and this is how it's usually phrased. I want you to do an hour and a half on phenomenon-based science teaching. And so that means I'm going to come in, like in the principal's mind, that means you're going to come in and you're going to have a slide deck and you're going to go through and explain to teachers what phenomenon-based teaching is. And when you leave, they're going to know what it is and they're going to go do it. Right. And so that whole model is completely broken. It doesn't work. It, there's like, there's a whole, and it's, it's, it, it's not, it's bad in terms of the relationships between all the people involved in that. But every time we capitulate to that and say, yeah, okay, I'll do that. What you've really done is said, yeah, I believe that that is a model of learning that works. And that reinforces that, okay, well, then it's okay for you to do that with kids too, because this is a model of, of learning that works as opposed to saying, well, I can come in for an hour and a half and I'm happy to talk with your science teachers about about science teaching, but I'm not going to deliver a lecture on phenomenon-driven teaching because that's not going to do any good. It's going to have no impact on your teachers. It's not going to get them thinking or doing anything different in their classrooms. It's just going to get them grumbling about the fact that they had to sit for an hour and a half and listen to me talk about this nonsense. So, um, so that this... Like trying to say, in addition to the fact that we're not going to do this with you, we need you not to do it with other people. Because part of changing this whole system requires that everybody start to adopt a different notion for what it means to learn something. And if we can't all do it, we can't change the system. The system is very resistant to change. It it wants us, you know, to the degree that it wants, right? The system doesn't shift easily. And so if it's entirely built on this information processing model and behaviorist model of learning, the only way to shift it is for us to push against it at every opportunity. And and that's hard work. And it's, you know, frankly exhausting. But that's the only way the change happens. If we don't do that, then what we end up with is we, you know, is the death march with fun sauce, right? Yeah. And all we're doing is we're fun sauce vendors. We're like, <laughs> hey, you know what? You know what you can do? You can jazz this up with a little flip classroom and a little, uh, you know, yeah. a little bit of uh, video, you know, con videos on the side. And look at that. All of a sudden you got uh, you got beautiness. And yeah. it's like, well, OK, no. But but we also th- throw some cahoots in there. Come on. Oh, come on. Maybe some yeah. pear decks, some, some pear decks, cahoots, some jam boards. Oh, a jam board. Got to like a jam board. I, I know. I do like a jam board. <laughs> <laughs> all right i think we've we've devolved here but i think that the there's there's a lot of good stuff in this episode i think that 
you know, it it's a charge to us as folks who are teacher educators, but also leading professional development that, you know, we can't just tell that we've got to like, you know, and even when it's what folks want. Yeah. Right. And they do want like, it. Right. And our, like, it's, you know, there's, uh, um, and this is an, an aside, there was a research article that looked at um, active learning in college mm. classrooms. Mm. And active learning is, you know, giving students the opportunity, giving them agency, right? Some mm. agency where they're working collaboratively and focus on. And so the article was t- titled, Is Active Learning Like Broccoli? And what they found was that college students benefited from active learning, but they didn't want to do it. Yeah. What they wanted was just give us the information. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what that's really analogous to this is that sometimes, you know, a principal is going to ask you to come in, do an hour and a half presentation, quote unquote, a presentation, or someone's going to invite you to do a keynote. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, can you give us a keynote on an hour long keynote on, you know, hey, you know, phenomenon based science or whatever. And yep. we have to resist those urges, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We have to resist those urges and we have to recognize that that it's up to us to make that change, right? Yeah. It, it, that we as educators, you know, to take it back to the cognitive apprenticeship, we always have to be thinking about, okay, I'm designing a learning environment that whatever you're doing, whether you're there for an hour and a half or whether you're there for a keynote or whatever, your, your, your notion should be, I am designing a learning environment. And my goal, one of my fundamental goals of this learning environment is to make it as authentic as possible in whatever way I can. Right. And and to shift agency from me onto the onto the people that are learning. So how do I how do I design that time? How do I design that? And and then adding in the layer that whether they're high school kids, college kids, teachers, or people are learning to prepare teachers, they're they're gonna push back on you. They're gonna say, I don't want this. I want the fast version. Give me the fast version because I got a meeting and I gotta get to it. And you're you're you know, you're wasting my time with all this chit chat. Yeah. All this talking, all yeah. this talking, all this practice, practice. Yeah, mm. this is just practice. Could... This is just yeah. practice. Yeah, not the game. Not, not the, the game. game. It's not the game. It's just yeah. practice. Just practice. What were you gonna say? You were gonna. I, I, I was gonna. Could... I was gonna. No, I wish. I was gonna say that I uh, wish we could do something podcasty where we actually because this is a very <laughs> where, where's, your, where's your friend to slap you <laughs> I don't know but yeah. this no but we are telling this is us talking yeah. you know but it's really a conversation between you and I and yeah. there's well just... and it's you know I mean I think there there is value in even in lectures right sure. in in TED talky sorts of things but they're not they're not um, what they are are opportunities to to motivate people to th- to find their own opportunities to think deeply about something. They are not an, they are not a deep learning opportunity. Right. They're right? not going to impact practice. They're yeah. not going to, they're going to maybe inform, but yeah. they're not necessarily going to like say, okay, you know what? I did this thing. Now I'm going to do this other thing because, you know, I, right. I now know how to do it. Like yeah. you're not going to listen to practice. Like, Oh, I listened to a podcast on how to operate on someone. Right. Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they're, yeah, they they are a supplement. They are an additional thing. It's like yeah. watching if you're a guitar player, watching people play guitar on YouTube. Well, well, that can really help you with some stuff, but only if you know something about guitar and you've practiced on your own that you've played. Um, so get out there and play, play the game. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah do it. Because this do is it. just practice. Practice. Yeah. All, All right. right. Joyce? Joyce. Joyce. Yeah. Okay. Am I going first? If you want to. Okay. I, I guess I will then. Because I right. feel like I want to. I'm taking that. Um. So thing that's bringing me joy right now is a book um, that I got sort of on a lark because I was reminded about a television show that I had not seen but had heard good things about um, called Lovecraft Country um, that was a sort of reinterpretation of H.P. Lovecraft's um, science fiction in the context of race. Um, so basically retelling these stories almost exclusively from uh point of view of black folks and then um mostly in the in the sort of 40s and 50s and um so pre-civil rights sort of um america um but it's based on a book it was a television show was very well received but it was based on a book so i got the book and i've been reading the book and i'm really enjoying the book it's uh it's got a it's sort of a supernatural you know it's got a hp lovecraft to it so um vibe to it so it's got some supernatural sort of um science fictiony thing to it but it's a series of stories that are interconnected so it sort of feels like a novel but it sort of feels like a set of short short stories um and it's uh yeah i'm i'm really enjoying it it's it's a fun read it's not profound really i mean i think the framing of it in terms of race is interesting and um you know, there's some there's some interesting ways that they play with that in the in the the book, but um, but it's not it's not a you know it's not profound uh, exactly, but it's it's a fun read and it's uh, and and uh, I'm enjoying it. So that's a that's cool. joy. Yeah, I, I've tried to watch a couple of the episodes, and it's just a, a little dark for me. You know, mm-hmm. I can see how people would like it, but it's just not my my thing. You know, yeah, actually, the, the books. You're you're a dark dude. You like? Oh, you like I probably would read stuff. the book. I yeah. wouldn't watch the series. You know, because mm. yeah, that's it, like I read a lot of like dark things in mm-hmm. terms of like you know, like one of my favorite authors, Joe Nesbo, who mm. like writes exclusively about serial killers, <laughs> and, right? And it's like happy stuff. Yeah, totally happy stuff. Yeah. Um. All right. So my joy. Is uh, you know about a week ago I was uh, at the mall with my wife and she wanted to go into one store that was you know not really my cup of tea and I'm like hey I'm gonna go to the Apple store and just split around and so I went to the Apple store and and, you know I'm not really in the market for and I just got a new laptop and I'm not really in the market for anything (laughs) you you should not go into it but I went in (laughs) and I was like going I was walking around I. And I was, I had bought an Apple TV like years ago, like maybe like second generation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think right now they're on their fourth or fifth generation. Yeah. And I cut the cord like a bunch of years ago. Um, but we've been using mainly fire sticks in the house. Um, and the fire stick is kind of glitchy, um, yeah. mainly around buffering, you know, with certain things. It's like in the middle, it'll just kind of glitch out. And then, you know, I'm watching Chopped in the middle. It's just kind of like freeze or it's the, the worst is when it's like uh, like a sporting event. Mm. Um, and I'm like, OK, you know, I'm going to buy an Apple TV and just give it a try. Just give it yeah, a try. Like, yeah, try. we're a, we're a, an, a Mac family. We're mm-hmm. an Apple family. We have almost every product that they've, you know, we don't, we don't have the new speaker, but you know, outside of that, we've had, we've owned something, yeah. you know, from t- cinema displays to whatever. Um, and so I, I am, I set it up this weekend. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. It is awesome. 
Like, I can't tell you how fast it is and how like the fact this is the coolest thing. Like, like at first I was I was hating on the 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 remote. I was hating yeah. on it yeah. because it has a trackpad, just like you know, like a yeah. trackpad. And but you have full control over the settings of the remote. Like you can mm-hmm. go into settings and say, this is what this button does, this is what this button does, and it's rechargeable. It's yes, a rechargeable it remote. And so not only that, and not only can you change like what's the home screen and what and down and you can download all, all the apps, but it's so lightning fast. And I was gonna be like, okay, maybe I'll get the Ethernet version because they have an Ethernet version and they have a Wi-Fi version. I said, well, okay, I'll buy the Wi-Fi version. And there are some places in our house where it's a little spotty with Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. which happens to be where that's mainly our television, uh-huh. but it also has an Ethernet connection. And I was like, I'll try it with the Wi-Fi. If it doesn't work, then I'll maybe I'll return and get the Ethernet connection. It is awesome. It is awesome. I just, I don't like, yeah, I'm done. I I ordered a second one. It's coming in the mail tomorrow. I am like moving to Apple. I am all in. I am just convinced that, and I was just like showing my son the other night. I was like, okay, look, I'm going to open up this app. Bing. It just like opens right up, you know? And then I read, oh, let's switch to this app instead. Bing. He's like, okay, how about open up HBO Max? Because that's usually one that takes a little bit of, or Netflix takes some time. It's like, click, bing. It opens Mm -hmm. right up. Yeah. It's like I was blown away, and right. I was also embarrassed that I've waited this long to try it. Yeah, you, know? you should be ashamed of yourself. I should be ashamed. I should but don't be, ashamed. be. Just be joyful. Don't it is so joyful. I am happy that because um, I can watch Chop now without any glitches yep. or, and that brings me lots of joy. Well, and you know it. It it works with Siri, and it works with the remote on your phone, so you have right. Your, and we can project from phone. our, and you can laptop. Our, you can project from any Apple device. We can have it do a screensaver of the pictures that we have, like yep. our joint, you know, folder Photo stream. Photo. Yeah, yep. we can do all of that. So it's like, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, like I don't know what took me so long. I, the no, old one either. was, you know, predated like the Apple TV stuff, like mm-hmm. the Apple TV Plus, you yep. know. But yeah, it's awesome. Pretty sweet. Welcome to the right. party. Yeah, a little late, but I'm yeah, here. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> That's all right. All right. Well, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking about, you know, stuff. Talk, stuff. Talking about talking. Yeah. Episode 136 in the books. Yep. Uh, I think yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Right. And we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. <laughs>